Well, good morning, church family. Today is my 48th birthday, and I know it's hard to believe I don't look a day over 55, so that's, uh, but I want to talk about the most important day of my life. I was born physically in 1973, September 12th, and like many of you, my spiritual life has been a series of decision and indecision and commitments and shrinking back from those commitments, but I have a surrender day. I have a day in November of 2007 that for the first time in my life, I can say that no asterisk, no fine print, I fully and completely surrendered myself to Jesus. I was in Teen Challenge and I was praying. I was about eight months in the program. My father was dying of cancer and I had been through some things, but I had persevered eight months. I was going to do 30 days, and eight months in, I began to pray to God, and, and I asked him to put my family back together. I asked that he would give me my wife back, and he would give me my kids back, and he would let me make a life and put back the pieces together that I had demolished. And I remember not an audible voice, but clearly outside of my train of thought, deep, deep in my spirit, this, this voice that said, I will not do that. And I thought, maybe you didn't hear me, God. I mean, I've been here for eight months. You know, I've been doing the right thing. My wife and kids are a blessing. The, the, that's good. I want to be a father and a husband. You know, I just want those things back. And I felt him saying, the only thing I will promise you is the presence of Jesus Christ. Not Jesus plus something else. Just Jesus. Is that enough? And I realized for the first time in my life, I had a real decision to make. If the only promise I had was the presence of Christ for the rest of my life and nothing else looked the way I thought it should look, would I still follow him? I believe that everything that's happened in my life is a result of that day of me saying, Lord, I fully, 100% and completely surrender to you. I will hold nothing back. Not that I perfectly do it, not that I don't take my will back, but that was my surrender day. And here is my sincere prayer for each of you in this room. I pray that God allows whatever it takes, whatever it takes to bring you to the end of you. It doesn't have to be an addiction. Addiction just has the benefit of, of just demolishing everything pr pretty quickly. But each of us have to come to the end of ourselves. Because in that place, in our brokenness, God meets us. He redeems our past. He redeems our present. And he le leads us into a new life. Corey Ten Boom once said, you may never know that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And so this morning I want to talk about surrender for in fact 
the entire Christian life is about surrender. In order to live a full and effective life for Christ, we must learn to submit to his will. In the dictionary, the definition of surrender, it says it's a transitive verb that means to yield to the power, control, or possession of another upon compulsion or demand or to give up completely or agree to forego in favor of another. That's what the dictionary says. Surrender is giving up one thing fully in favor of another. Here's a promise from Jesus. Mark 8, 35. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it or find it. In other words, this isn't just about literal death. This is about if your life, if, if your entire life is the pursuit of just your own desires, if you're only living for you, if you're building your kingdom, if it's all about you, you will have missed what it means to be alive. You will have lived your whole life and you may accomplish things and you may acquire things and you may win the applause of crowds, but in the end, it will have been for nothing. But Jesus doesn't end there. He says in this second part, the promise, whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will find it. Jesus is saying the way to everything you desire, the way to fulfilling life is surrender to him. Is die to live. Is give to receive. Is serve to be great. It's an upside down kingdom. We surrender to Christ for salvation, and from then on, we're called to surrender to the Spirit for ongoing sanctification. The Bible doesn't says, say we surrender ourselves to, to Jesus for salvation, and then our sanctification, or our becoming more like Christ, that has to do with our talents and abilities, or how well we memorize Scripture, or how smart we are. No, it's how much we submit to the Spirit of God, how much we allow the Spirit of God to change us. We often surrender our preferences, our individual comfort to serve each other here in the church. We surrender our resources and time to minister to the lost. That's why we exist. That's why the church is here. To preach the hope we have in Christ to the whole world. Jesus was an example. Jesus surrendered to the will of the Father. Jesus lived his life with the motto, not my will, but yours be done. Have we forgotten how our Lord taught us to pray? The only time in Scripture the disciples asked Jesus, teach us, is teach us how to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the Bible is filled with men and women of faith who are used in mighty ways despite their pasts, despite their flaws. In fact, very often God uses those very things to bring glory to himself, to allow our past to minister to others that we would make an impact for him. So I want to look at what the Bible has to say about surrender with our time together today. And of course, our biggest obstacle to living surrendered lives is pride. We think we know more. That we found a better way. We think our experience or our status or our success trumps God's control and our reality. And it's just not true. 
Pride is always our biggest problem, and if you don't think so, that might just prove the point. There was an officer in the Navy who had always dreamed of commanding a battleship. He finally achieved that dream and was given commission of the newest and proudest ship in the fleet. One stormy night as the ship plowed through the seas, the captain was on duty on the bridge. When off to the port, he spotted a strange light rapidly closing in with his own vessel. Immediately, he ordered the signalman to flash the message to the unidentified craft, alter your course 10 degrees to the south. Only a moment passed, and the reply came, you alter your, your course 10 degrees to the north. Determined that his ship would take a back seat to no other, the captain snapped out the order to be sent. Alter 10 degrees, I am the captain. The response beamed back, alter your course 10 degrees, I am seaman third class Alberts. Now infuriated, the captain grabbed the signal light with his own hands and fired off, alter course, I am a battleship. The reply came back, alter your course, I am a lighthouse. <laughs> you like that one, Bob? I couldn't wait all week to tell that. See, no matter how important any of us think we are, God's word alone stands as an unchanging beacon. Our course must be altered to his, not the other way around. No matter how much we think we can see and understand, we are fools compared to the infinite and omniscient God who created us and who loves us and who wants what's best for us. Sadly, how many of us have seen the destructive result of our choices because we wanted to be in control instead of yielding to the word of God? Father, would you right now prepare our hearts for this word? Everybody in this room, everybody hearing this message, God, would you do what only you can do through your power, your spirit, and your word? Would you have your way? Would you change us? Would you convict us? Would you challenge us? Would you break us to heal us? That we would be more like your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Last Saturday, I had the pleasure, if you would call it that, I had the opportunity to go and sit with Jean Quentin, who was in the hospital. She had called, and I was able to go and, and sit and pray with her, and I showed up, and I know this is hard to believe, but I'm an emotional guy, so it's sometimes hard for me to keep my emotion in check, but I was trying to be strong for the family, and so I'm holding it together for the most part, and she's telling me stories and she's talking about all the people she's been telling about Jesus, the doctors and you know, they keep telling her they wanna give her medicine and she's telling them about how she's ready to meet Jesus and she's telling me these stories about everybody she's telling about Jesus. And then she said to me, she said, I wanna thank you for your preaching because it's made me wanna do more, it's made me different and I began to cry and she began to cry, her family began to cry. And then she looked at me and she said, but here I am now doing nothing. And I said, doing nothing? You just got done telling me since I, since I got here about all the people you've been telling about Jesus. You're doing the one thing. And she began to cry and she said, thank you for that. 
See, surrender isn't about doing works or doing what we think we, need, we should be doing. It's about responding in the moment. It's about taking every exchange, every opportunity to allow the Spirit of God to work through us. It wasn't just the words that she spoke, but it was her very presence. I went to that hospital and I shared with the family. I was originally going to go there and try to convince her to like take whatever medicine and do, because she was just at like Bible study and she was at the women's breakfast and she was here at the service and I'm like, how did that you know so quickly? And so I'm going to go there and I'm going to you know try to encourage her to you know just get whatever care. And and I saw a woman who was so at peace. And so ready to meet Jesus. I was blessed by that time. That was surrendered. It's not about never feeling like we're good enough or we're never doing enough. We can always feel like that. Surrender isn't a burden, it's a release. If surrender feels like a burden to you, you're doing it wrong. You don't get it. It's an overflow. It's an allowance of God to work through us. I didn't even really think about it until Jamie said that about how the kind of week I had. But yeah, I'm preaching on surrender. I had to surrender some things this week. I had to to wrestle with God. I had to, to discover a new level of intimacy with Jesus this week. Because sometimes he takes us to a place, he separates us, and he brings us to where we feel like we're all alone. And we fight to be back with everybody, but he's brought us in that place for a reason, for a season. That it's time for us to have with him alone. See, there's a lot of people doing a lot of stuff that don't have hearts surrendered to God. Surrender means listening and responding to what he wants us to do, where we are with what we have. We have this idea that, well, if if I was this person, or if I was in that place, or if I had those resources, but God's not going to ask you what you did with somebody else's resources, with somebody else's giftings, and some other time and place. He's going to say, what did you do with the people in your life, where you are with what you had? Surrender is allowing the Spirit of God to work through us means not simply asking what I can do for him. Not, it's asking what I can do for him, not simply how I can get more from me. It's realizing that with every breath, I have the opportunity to minister, to live for Jesus. To say, not my will, but yours be done in every situation. Anyone ever hear that song? I surrender some. No, that doesn't sound right. No, maybe it's like, I surrender most. It still doesn't sound right, does it? I surrender all. Because if you, if you surrender most, that means the one thing you're holding on to, that's what you worship. That's, that's your idol. We say, oh, idolatry. That's, people don't worship statues anymore. That's not what idolatry is. Idolatry was my wife and children on that altar. And it's tough when it's, because you're supposed to love your wife and children, of course. I mean, what do you mean, God? What do you mean when you won't give me my wife and children? Like, what do you, of course. But not above God. Anything you love above him, that's the idol. And the thing is that if I really love my wife and children, if I really wanted to be the husband and the father, 
that I need to be, that I've been called to be, then I have to love God first. Because I don't have the ability in my flesh to love the way God's called me to. So it's much deeper than on a surface level saying, I need to love God more than my family. And, and that's like, we don't, we don't get that. But when we realize that only then can we begin to love like Jesus, then it makes a whole bunch of sense. I remember once my wife saying to me, in order to love me the way I need to be loved, you have to love God more than me. And I thought she was Yoda. I'm like, what kind of, what kind of ninjas? I'm like, wait, say it again. So let's slow down. What? And I remember when she said that to me, thinking right away, I don't. I don't love God more than you. I must thought that was like, good. You're supposed to, you know? I didn't get it. In order to love me the way I need to be loved, you have to love God more than me. So this morning we're going to talk about another man in a boat that needed, to be, that needed to surrender. We see a great example of surrender in the life of Peter. I love Peter. I can relate to Peter. Peter was passionate, but Peter reacted, man. He was impulsive. Peter kept doing stuff, and you're like, Peter, whoa, buddy, hey, easy with the sword. Like, slow down there. Jesus, Jesus had to be like, get behind me, Satan. I mean, how about that rebuke, right? You think you're doing a good thing? Jesus is calling you Satan? It's like, whoa, Peter just acts, right? He just, I love that about Peter. He's flawed like all of us. But he has a real love for Jesus. That love caused him ultimately to surrender his property, his pride. He left his profession to follow Jesus. But surrender is not a popular word, right? It has kind of all these negative meanings with it. It's usually associated with defeat or loss. We think of surrender as like a bad thing. I give up. There's a winner and there's a loser. Surrender takes place. Winner and loser are defined. But that's a simplistic way of looking at things. What if I told you that sometimes those who surrender are really the winners? In fact, surrender is required not just once, but regularly in a life dedicated to following Jesus. I said this in a sermon once, and I say it all the time because it's brilliant, and that shows it wasn't me because I was just preaching, and it came out, and the more I think about it, but it came from a place of my reality, waking up at Teen Challenge in Brockton. I'm at rehab in Brockton in 2007, and I'm like, I'm done. This is like, I don't know how it ended like this, but what a ride. It's over. And I was preaching one time, and I said, we don't surrender to be done. We surrender to begin. We don't surrender to be done. We surrender to begin. Me saying, I'm done. I give up. That wasn't the end. That was the beginning. And because I love you, and because I've seen the destruction of prideful choices, I want that for you. I want that for you more than your comfort. I want that for you more than your success and more than you feeling good. I want that for you because I realize the truth of Jesus' words, that in that sacrifice, you will find life. Complete surrender to Christ, our unshakable lighthouse. You know, when we, when we put the, the new logo together, 
I've always liked lighthouses. I remember my father brought me to Ned's Point in Mattapoisett on his motorcycle when I was like eight years old. And I, I mean, I just like lighthouses. I like the ocean. And, and then I remember hearing about how New Bedford used to be known as the city of light for all the whale oil. And I like the idea of it now being the city of light for Jesus. And so we wanted the lighthouse. And there was a lady that's been part of this church for a long, long time. And she said to me, you know, Pastor Burroughs, who founded this church, used to have a little lighthouse out front. I didn't know that. But God knew that because this is his church and it doesn't matter who's standing up here and someday it's not going to be me, it's going to be somebody else, but it's his church. And he's going to do his work. Luke 5, verse 1. Take a minute if you want to turn there. Luke 5, verse 1. We're going to read the scriptures and I'm going to point out some things and try to apply them to our lives. Luke 5, verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. I want to point out that Peter was not interested in Jesus right there. He got into one of the boats, verse 3, the one belonging to Simon. Jesus was interested in Peter. And asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hot all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. There's doubt, but there's obedience. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his, his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Repentance and belief. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore. They left everything and followed him. Mission and surrender. So before we dive into our text, I want to give you a little background about Peter. Peter had already met Jesus once. A couple of his business partners had introduced Christ as the Messiah, but Peter wasn't really interested. John was a couple couple years younger, kind of a kid. Peter's like, I'm wiser, I'm older. These guys fall for everybody that came around, because a lot of people come around preaching. A lot of people come around saying they're the Messiah. Peter's like, yeah, you know, that's good for you guys. I'm going to fish. You ever hear anybody start to tell you about Jesus and you're like, yeah, that's, you know, that's good for you, but you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my thing over here. Wasn't interested in following this Jesus. That's where we find Peter at the beginning of the passage. Been out fishing all night and didn't catch anything. And so him and his partners are sitting on the shore next to their boats and they're cleaning their nets. And you know, we dehumanize some of these stories, but think about it. Not only is fishing a tough gig on a good day, but he's been out fishing, didn't catch anything. So he's fishing all day, doesn't catch anything, he's discouraged, and now he's cleaning up. And what do you do at the end of the day? You're trying to clean up, you want to get home. 
This is the context because we just read it and we, we pretend like it, you know, like people in the Bible were like have these, you know, they were super spiritual. They, he was tired. He was dirty. He was discouraged. I want you to notice that Jesus came to Peter. Although he was teaching a multitude of people, I believe his primary goal that day was to engage Peter, to bring Peter to a place of surrender. The point I'm trying to make is that we need to be willing to come to Christ as we are. Peter was dirty. He was tired, fishing all day. He could have been like, you know what, let me go home. Let me get cleaned up. Let me take a shower. I've had a long night. Maybe we can grab coffee down the road. I'm covered in bait. He wasn't dressed to meet God. In fact, when Jesus asked to borrow his boat, he had every reason in the world to say no. I mean, he could ask the guys who would be like, hey, listen to this guy. Like, now he wants, to borrow my, he wants to borrow my boat. Like, Jesus, I've been fishing all night. I haven't caught anything. I'm cleaning my nets. I'm tired. I want to go home. My boat, like, come on, buddy. But he surrendered and obeyed. Imagine had he not. Imagine when Jesus pursued Peter and when Jesus called Peter to his surrender. That made no sense. Imagine if it would have stopped there because it would have made sense for Peter to ignore Jesus' request. This is important because so many people go around trying to clean their lives up. And I've heard people say, yeah, you know, I'm going to get to church, but I got, you know, things are such a mess right now. And so, you know, once I stop swearing and I stop smoking and I stop, you know, when I stop doing all this, then I'm going to come to church, which is exactly like saying, once I get in shape, I'm going to go to the gym. And we'd be like, that doesn't make sense. But people say it all the time. Yeah, you know, once, once I get my life together, I'm going to, that's not how that works. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says while we are yet sinners, while we are in our filth, Christ died for us. His spirit will work to clean us up. We have to surrender now, not down the road, not at some imaginary perfect point when we're all cleaned up now, today. You are here not because somebody nags you to come, not because you feel bad because you haven't been here. You are here right now because God wants to meet you in this place and he wants you to surrender some things. That's why you're here. That's the only reason you're here. So don't, don't come up with some down-the-road hypothetical scenario some day where everything's aligned just right, where you're going to surrender to God. Tomorrow isn't promised. Today's the day. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It doesn't say all unrighteousness except that really bad stuff. All unrighteousness this week. It says, if we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What that means is that when God looks at you, because of the blood of Jesus, he sees you as righteous, as perfect and holy and blameless. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see yesterday. He doesn't see the past if we confess our sins, if we surrender it to him. There is nothing we can do to earn God's love. There is nothing we can do to be deserving of God's love. He gives it freely. All the asses that we surrender to him. To present ourselves fully to Christ just as we are right here and right now. David Wilkinson, the founder of Teen Challenge, said this, and he was talking about addiction, but I'm going to eject the word sin because addiction is just one piece of that. It's one piece of the brokenness and the hopelessness. It's just one sin among sins. So put, you know, put your flavor of sin in there. He said, certainly we cannot claim a magical cure for sin. The devil that hides in the needle, the pills, the powder, and whatever other vice or behavior or idol is so deadly strong that any claim would be foolish. All we can say is that we have found a power that captures a person stronger than sin does, but he captures only to liberate. Jesus wants to capture your heart to set you free, and we resist. He captures only to liberate. We take up our story, and Jesus is teaching the multitude, and the crowd's getting so big, they're pressing against Jesus, and he needs some breathing room. So Peter, you know, just take me out in your boat. Peter allows it. Christ finishes his teaching, sitting on the boat, on the shoreline. Once the teaching is completed, I don't think the crowd wanted to leave. I think they wanted to stay there. And I think they wanted Jesus to keep teaching. And so Jesus needs some time. He he wants to get away. And so he says to Peter, why don't we go cast out into deeper waters? Why don't we go for a sail, Peter? Now, I love the ocean. In fact, vacation to me is always a beach and a book with people I love. There's never a scenario in which I'm on vacation that does not ocean a book and people I love. I don't even understand what that would be. I love the ocean. I love the sea. And so they're going to, you know, Jesus has all this time and he's, and he's preaching and he's, the crowds are there. And so now he's going to tell tells Peter, hey, Peter. Why don't, we, why don't we go back out into the deeper waters? Now, Peter had been on that sea all night. As beautiful as the sea is and as relaxing as the sea is, the sea's rough too. So Peter, Peter could have been like, okay, first of all, I'm tired. I worked all day. I didn't catch anything. I'm cleaning my nets. You asked to use my boat. Remember that? Now, I let you use my boat. I was a nice guy. And now... You want me to go back out there? Hey, Jesus, how about you stick to preaching and I'll stick, stick to fishing? Because that's what I do, right? Peter could have asked his friends, because you know, we can always, when we make a decision, when God's prompting us, but we don't want to do it, we can always find like those 10 people we can call that'll be like, yeah, you're right, you shouldn't go out. Forget about it, that guy's crazy. He's just trying to take advantage of you, trying to take your boat out. No, 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 you go home. Peter could have done that. Peter had every opportunity 
to not respond to Jesus' commands who didn't make any sense at all. Sometimes you can have the best boat and the best equipment and the best workers and the fish just aren't biting. Peter knew that. Peter Peter could have said, Jesus, I don't think you understand. I've been fishing all night. The fish aren't just biting today. But he doesn't do that. You ever get tired of serving the Lord? You ever feel like you've offered and offered, you haven't seen any results? Peter would have had to wash his nets again, right? Think about that. There's there's a million reasons Peter could have made excuses not to do it. And Peter replied like this, Master, we have toiled all night and we have taken nothing. See, don't pause when God gives instructions. Many times God will give us instructions in in this life and they don't make sense. If they line up with the word of God, you ask the mature people, you know, you talk to the people that know Jesus, that love Jesus, you get their advice, not the knuckleheads. Every time you want to do something wrong, you can think of a whole bunch of people to call that will co-sign that nonsense. I'm talking about the people you know that are going to speak truth in life to you. See, when we choose to obey, we are always better for it. Something changed in Peter. And I believe at this point that Jesus looked at Peter. The eyes of God looked at Peter. And Peter said, because you say so, Lord, I will. Peter was in an exchange. He had an opportunity. He had a decision to make. This was a huge surrender for him. It went against everything he knew as a fisherman. He had to let down his pride. He had to surrender all his knowledge of how fishing works. His claim as captain. But surrender must precede the blessings that God has for you. And Peter discovered in the next moments what happens when you surrender your life over to God. Because the scriptures say that immediately the nets were full. And that, in fact, they caught so many fish that the boats began to sink, and they called other boats to join them, and they began to sink. So that Peter knew this was a supernatural event. This wasn't just a good day fishing. Peter knew who Jesus was in that moment. See, God can't bless you unless you surrender to him. And this isn't a prosperity gospel message, because most of the time, The blessings are not physical. In this case, it was fish. But many, many times, the greatest blessings are not material. The book of Job, where there was such difficulty, such isolation, such trials, battling with God, even his wife, you think that, you go through stuff, maybe your friends leave you, but even your wife's gonna stick around. And scripture says at one point, his wife looks at him and says, would you just curse God and die? Hey, thanks for the pep talk, honey. Did you read that in some, you know, romance? So what is that about? That's, what, was the, what was the blessing in Job? Getting all stuff back? Or was it knowing that God wasn't going to leave him? That through his trial there was a deeper intimacy. That through, through his surrender there was another level of understanding of who God is. Peter does two things that are very important. He acknowledges that he's a sinner and he recognizes Christ as the Messiah. 
And so he submits to Jesus as Lord. And once Peter is fully surrendered to Jesus, Jesus can complete the plan that he had for Peter's life. See, if Peter hadn't have responded, if Peter had walked away, he would have missed out not only of the greatest catch of his life, but of the greatest calling of his life. As Jesus said, you're not going to be a fisherman anymore. I have something different for you now. And Peter's complete and unconditional surrender is a picture for all of us. In verse 11, it says, when they had brought their ships to land, they left everything and followed him. That means that after his best performance as a fisherman, after if there was any reason to stay a fisherman, this would have been it. He left it all behind to follow Jesus. Now, you don't have to leave your profession unless she calls you to. There's no... You know, you're not more favored if you're a preacher than you are a doctor or anything else. But in this case, Peter was asked to give it all up for Jesus, and he did. So what is God asking you to give up for Jesus? What is it that he wants to do in your life? What way does he want to bless you, but it requires your surrender? Maybe you've never acknowledged him as your master. Maybe you think being Christian is just thinking the right thing about Jesus. Maybe you've been a Christian for two years or 15 years or 50. But if you're here and you have something in your life that you need to surrender to Jesus this morning, I pray that you do that. That you don't leave this place with the burdens that you walked in with. Peter had to surrender his pride and let down the nets as Jesus asked. He had to surrender his life to the new king. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now. Just stop for a minute because sometimes we can hear a sermon and we can be like, oh, that sermon? My wife, she needs to hear that one. My neighbor, oh boy, he needs to hear this sermon. I needed to hear this sermon. You need to hear this sermon. There's nobody in this room that doesn't have things they need to surrender. I read the story of a counselor who worked in New York City, and he tells about how he helped people struggling to surrender their lives to Christ. He used to walk down to the RCA building on Fifth Avenue, and the entrance to this building is this giant picture, giant statue of Atlas. This muscled, well-proportioned, strongest man in the world. And he's straining, crouched down with the weight of the world on his shoulders, can barely lift it up, and you can see it in the sculpture. That's one way to live, he would point out. Try to carry the whole world on your shoulders, all the burdens of life. And he would say, now come and walk across the street with me. On the other side of Fifth Avenue is St. Patrick's Cathedral. And there behind the high altar is the shrine of a little boy, Jesus. Maybe eight years old. And he's holding up the world in one hand. And the council said, now you choose 
by this graphic illustration which way you want to live. With the weight of the world on your shoulders or trusting in the one who holds it all in the palm of his hand. See, God is prepared to be wholly responsible for a life fully surrendered to him. God is prepared to be wholly responsible for a life surrendered to him. I pray that each of us would know that increasing surrender because in that we meet Jesus. He works in our lives and the people around us are changed because of it. Father, as we close, would you just continue to minister to each of us now. These altars will be open. Father, let us respond to your Spirit's promptings, God, to not leave the same way we came in, to say, maybe for the first time, Lord, have your way. You can have all of me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.